So I have a small, brief PowerPoint presentation, and then um, usually I <clears throat> I do a little reflection of my own life um, that I'll do at the end. So on the screen here, I'm showing some images of, uh, of some gods. And when we look at some of the sculptures, we see Zeus, um, we see um, Ra, who's the, the sun god in Egypt, and then there's Buddha. And then in the corner there, you can see there's uh, the calf that was worshiped by the Israelites uh, during um, Moses' time. And then you see Christ. And you see these are all images of gods in their most glorified state. And so there's a contrast we see between Christ on the cross dying and then the other gods who are figures of power. Okay, here are some other images of some gods. So these are very familiar faces. Um, these, are, these are billionaires. These are people we, we look up to and idolize quite a bit. And then there's Christ, who doesn't resemble them at all. And the question we ask ourselves is which, which one are we most attracted to? And the answer we know is Christ, but truly, who are we most attracted to when it comes to having possessions and positions of power and respect versus being again tortured and spat upon and wearing a crown of thorns. Here's how the wealthy travel and then there's Christ on a donkey. Again, contrast between God and some men that we, or people that we look up to and aspire to be like. And then this is how the wealthy live. And there's Christ being born in a manger. And this is God. The contrast is, is striking. 
I was, uh, I don't, I, I was watching something and then this uh, Aspire to Greatness uh, commercial came up and it was, it was, it was, uh, it's, a con it's in the Ontario Convention Center and it's to talk about how to be the best you. And uh, it's being um, brought to you by these, I guess these are very famous people, I, I don't know who they are, but um, I guess it's a big deal and people are constantly looking for ways to better themselves so that they can get more out of life. And then there's a bunch of books on like self-help books or uh, books that are um, kind of uh, bring an awareness of how you should approach business or how you should approach your own personality and how to fix your personality so that you're uh, more attractive to people. So there's a very famous book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And if you have to read a book on how to um, make friends and influence people, um, then there's something fundamentally wrong with you, right? Or um, your, your view on friendship and, and, and people is a bit distorted. Um, has anybody ever heard of Stephen Covey? Yeah, everybody's heard of this guy. And at at work, um, our marketing our marketing department and our corporate folks, they're always reciting uh, things from Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey, and um, he's become a bit of a god. In, in a lot of businesses, and people look up to him and and want um, uh, to understand his understanding of business and how to thrive. So all this, I think, is really, it comes down to um, trying to create the perfect you, um, the sculptured you. And I have a picture of David, or not a picture, but it's a picture of the sculpture of David. And it's, it's revered. It's, everyone looks at this and they say, what a, what a great image this is, but if you really think of a sculpture, it, it's, a, it's, it, it's motionless, it's, it's finite, it's, it's, it's just a snapshot in time of this moment where David's being portrayed at, as this like very powerful figure. And in some respect it's exaggerated it's manufactured, and it's a representation of who David was. But it's just very, it's just, a, it's just a moment in time in which this was, in which he lived, that this was created to depict 
who this man was really like. And we do this, don't we? Like, here we have an embellishment of who we are. On the, on the left side, this is the Facebook you, right? And here's a girl who's got the peace sign. She's all about peace and love. Um, it's just trying to, to show the perfect you. And on the right, this is the LinkedIn you, right? This is what you would put on LinkedIn to show you're very knowledgeable, very professional, very in control, um, very educated, and um, why you should be in positions of power. And I actually got those photos from a website that um, shows you how to pose for, fa for LinkedIn photos. So these are a bunch of posers, right? They're literally posing. Um, and they want you to have an image of, an idea of who they really are, all encompassed in, in, in one photo, one image. And then there's these folks. And you can see on their face, whether there was a camera on them or not, that's how they looked. And they're not posing. And there's something about them that goes far beyond the, their, this image of them. So on this, on this slide, we have to ask ourselves, what are they trying to say about themselves? I showed this to my daughter, and I asked her, what, what do you think these people are trying to say about themselves? And she said, they're boastful. She, I mean, she's 11 years old. She can tell they're very boastful and, and fake. There's something very artificial about these images. And then when she looked at this, I asked her, what do, you think she's, what do you think they're trying to say about themselves? And she said, nothing. They're not trying to say anything about themselves. And she nailed it. So my talk today is, a, is about aspiring to be nothing. And, it's, and when I say nothing, it's not self-deprecating. It's not to say... I'm, no, I'm nothing, I'm no one, I'm of no value. But it's, it's, to, it's to really understand the true meaning of nothingness and what comes out of being nothing. And then asking ourselves, well, I'll get into the question later. So Moses when he, when he saw the burning bush and he asked God, who was he? God responded, I am that I am. And you, 
you have to ask yourself, like, what does that even mean? I am that I am. Well, how can, how can that be answered? How can God answer that? When he's infinite, when he's eternal, when he's omnipotent, when he's omniscient, when he's omnipresent and imageless. And man, who is very finite, limited, powerless, ignorant, confined, and imaged. How can, how can God explain to man who he is other than I am that I am? That's, that's what I am. That's all that I am. It's like, like Papa used to say. There's a saying that uh, at work they would say something that I never agreed with, and it's perception is reality. Have you guys heard perception is reality? Do you guys agree with that, or do you have a problem with that? I have a problem with it. And the reason why is there's, there's an argument that I perceive... 100% of the things I see. If I can see it, then I perceive it. And if seeing is believing, then everything I see, I believe. Therefore, it stands to reason that everything I see is real. And if I don't see it, it isn't real. So it's very limited because it implies you have perfect judgment, it implies you have a perfect understanding of all things created, and it implies everyone has similar life experiences like yours. And there's a little cartoon about two guys arguing about what, what it is that they're looking at. But there can only be one answer, right? There's only one answer. But truth is reality. So there can only be one truth, and there are no alternate truths. Most humans can only see ranges in color, in color spectrum or hear within a range of frequencies. So, for example, most people can't hear a dog whistle because it's outside of the range of frequencies that we can hear, but there's still a whistle being sounded that dogs can hear. Does that mean that there is no sound? There is a sound, we just cannot perceive it. Same with light. So this is an interesting uh, fact I, I read, is we can only see light, uh, we can only see what light we're able to see. So, I'm sorry, we can only see what light we're able to see. That's right. So, the entire rainbow of radiation observable to the eye, human eye only makes up a small portion of the electromagnetic uh, uh, spectrum. So, of all the light we see, 0.4% of, of the light we see is actually within the light spectrum. 
So when you think about it, that means that what we see is only 0.4% of what is there. Don't know why it's not advancing. Sorry. So I would call this the perception is reality group because they're creating an image of themselves that's purely based on perception. But is this who they are really? I mean, how, how deep do you go when this is, this is the emphasis? When you're trying to show somebody, this is who I am. And you see it as a, as a manufactured image, then it go, their, their true identity is as deep as their picture. And this, I would say, tr the tr this is the truth is reality group. So they live in truth. So we see a pattern in who God uh, reveals truth to. God favors the weak, the poor, the simple, and the meek. And we can see that in the disciples. We can see that in St. Mary. We can see that with the saints, past and present. And we even see it in Christ. You guys know the story of Moses, the, ser the, uh, um, uh, the servant of the Lord. So um, some, some interesting things I learned about Moses was um, he had a speech impediment. Did you guys know that? Yeah, um, uh, he, he was, his, was slow in tongue, is what the Bible says. And, and so um, at the time, the Israelites were slaves under the Egyptians, and Pharaoh was threatened by the Israelites because of their population growth, and he was worried about them being able to get too big that they may overthrow uh, the Egyptians. Um, so he ordered that the newborn boys be killed, drowned in the Nile. Um, so Moses' mother, she floated Moses in the basket, um, and then he was found by an Egyptian princess who adopted him. And so he grew up with the Egyptians, and he didn't know he was uh, not Egyptian. So he, he, he's, he schooled with the Egyptians, um, he was amongst the royalty, um, and then he learned eventually that he was uh, a Hebrew, and uh, he watched, uh, when he learned that he was Hebrew and he saw one of the Egyptians brutally beating another uh, uh, Hebrew slave, he lost it, and he killed the uh, the soldier that was beating the, the slave. So he was actually arrested and exiled. 
and then he settled uh, in the land of Midian, and he and he and he was married. And then uh, there's a lot of details I'm skimming over, but he encounters the burning bush, and uh, it's God, and God tells him, "You're going to uh, lead the." Um, Israelites out of Egypt and Moses was like I have a speech impediment you know he didn't say a speech impediment but he said I can't speak and God said I will speak through you but I'll send you Aaron with you just so that you could uh, learn how to speak but eventually Moses learned how to speak and 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 argue for the Lord and for the Egyptians I mean for the Israelites but it's interesting that he would pick somebody who obviously was seemed unfit for the for the role. And then there's Gideon. The story of Gideon. Do you guys know the story of Gideon? It's a good story. Um, and I kind of uh, relate to, to Gideon in a way. Because um, he's God's unlikely choice. <laughs> So, at the time, uh, Israel's they started worshiping idols again. They got a thing with idols. And uh, God punished them by uh, handing them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites plundered Israel, and they occupied and impoverished the land that the Israelites were forced to like, live uh, into the, the caves of the cliffs. And uh, Gideon was a young, was young, and he was considered the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, and that was a weak tribe, and he was considered the weakest among that tribe. Um, and an angel appeared to Gideon and said, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." And so Gideon is kind of like, "Who me?" And uh, God gave him signs because Gideon was in, in big doubt that he was, you know, maybe he was dreaming or hallucinating. But God gave him three signs that confirmed that he was um, going to eventually uh, save the Israelites from the Midianites. So... There was 135,000 Midianite soldiers in this camp. And um, Gideon was, managed to uh, uh, gather 33,000 Israelite soldiers. And it was a one to five you know, ratio, but they had a fighting chance, they felt. But... Um, Gideon asked, who of you are scared? And of the 33,000, 22,000 said they were scared and they ended up walking away. So now he's left with like 10,000 men to fight 135,000. And then God instructed uh, Gideon to walk them to a stream and to drink from the stream. And any of the soldiers that drank like a dog um, they were, re they were uh, released. So it only left 300 men 
who drank with their hands that were left to fight the soldiers. So that's less than 1% of their entire army that's left to fight 135,000 men. So the plan was this. They were each going to be equipped with um, a trumpet, a pot, and, uh, and a torch. And they were, at night, going to um, encircle them around the cliffs that oversaw the camp. And then when Gideon would sound his trumpet, all the other 300 men would sound their trumpet, and the sound um, uh, would, would echo in the, in the camp, and they would throw their pots down and then t light their torches. And it, it really scared and created this, um, this chaos that the Midianites ended up killing themselves because they didn't know who was, who was friend or foe. They were just killing anybody in their sight. So in the end, the Midianites uh, were defeated. And you ask yourself, well, why would God do something like that? I think it's pretty clear it's because God wants to work with a group that would easily recognize God as the reason why there was victory. And God works with the weak and, um, and so that his name be glorified. So it comes back to God saying, I am that I am, but why don't we do the same? What is it about us that we need more than just I am that I am? So if we look at creation, on a micro level and on a macro level, look at Look at how much, how much we've learned for, about creation. Look at the, the number of, of fish in the sea and the, and the microorganisms and the planets and how much have we learned and how much haven't we learned. And you can see the humility in God, right? Like if we invented one thing, look at how we go about telling people, look what we invented. And we try to make a big hoopla out of that. And look, you look at God, who created beyond our understanding, and he doesn't, and he's not a braggart about it. And if, if we understand it or don't understand it, it doesn't matter. I am that I am. I created. And it's for you to, to enjoy. And if you understand it and discover it, was it yours? Was it yours to discover and, and claim that you know you discovered this? Look at it, look at medicine. Medicine, how many things have have we learned about the human body? And a doctor or a, a, a group of physicians, they 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 develop a medicine to cure something, and it's a marvelous thing, but. Did they really 
create? Or did they understand creation a little bit better? So the point I'm making here is truth doesn't boast. Truth is truth. It's kind of distracting. What time is it, by the way? It's 12? I'm supposed to end at 12. Okay. Well, I'll be quick about this. <laughs> so I, I, I look at my life, and I'll, I'll tell you quickly. Um, my upbringing is, is, uh, is a little different in, in that um, I grew up very poor. I grew up in a poor family, and uh, my father... Um, my father wasn't a good man, and uh, I grew up being called stupid my whole life. Uh, as a child, I was called stupid, and uh, um, I hated report card day because um, my sister always got A's, and I always got D's and C's, and I knew that when I got home, I was going to get a beating, and my sister was going to get rewards. And so I was just sort of used to that treatment, and I didn't have a big, strong feeling about who I was. And somehow, some way, I, uh, you know, I eventually get a little bit bigger and stronger, and I used to get beat up a lot as a kid at school. And um, eventually I got to a point where... Um, I wasn't getting beat up anymore. I was getting strong and big, and I kind of liked being able to defend myself. And I started working on a look of looking intimidating and strong. And uh, people stopped picking on me. And I liked that respect. And, um, but I was, I was still inside a very scared, and hurt individual, but I didn't want to be hurt any longer. I wanted a way to have people stop hurting me. So I worked on this exterior, this hard exterior, so that people couldn't hurt me anymore. And um, if you look at pictures of me during this time, it was always like, I'm a tough guy. And my friends, if you ask them, you know, who I was, they would all tell you he's a tough guy. But I wasn't a smart guy, I was just a tough guy. And uh, I applied to two schools, um, Cal Poly Pomona and UC Irvine. And Cal Poly Pomona sends me a letter saying right away, I'm not accepted because of my grades. But UC Irvine accepted me. And I was ecstatic. I was like, thank God, like, what, what a miracle that is. And so I'd, I'd, apply, I'd, I'd gotten my, all my classes, and I was about to start uh, school, and then the final transcripts were sent from my high school. And UC Irvine, two weeks before school was going to start, said, 
we're denying your acceptance, you, your GPA stinks. So of course that really affected, because I already had a very low self-esteem about my, my grades and, and I thought God was, was giving me something and then he took that away from me. So I was forced to go to uh, Pasadena City College for a couple of years. And I focused more playing on music. I was a drummer. I always played the drums. And I was playing music, and um, people started like liking the way I played my drums, and I would start playing at clubs in, in Hollywood, and I started getting attention of girls, and that felt good because in my house, the women in my life, the attention I got from them wasn't very good. So here I am getting now attention that I liked, and I was, I was, I was, I seemed desirable for the first time. But I still wasn't getting anywhere in my life. And so I was going to actually go to the Marines. Um, and my mom didn't want me to go to the Marines. And I told her, Mom, there's nothing for me here. I have, there's nothing for me in this, in this world even. There's nothing for me. And I was talking to this Marine recruiter, and he would come all the time, and my mom hated him because, you know, here's, here's this guy going to take her, uh, her son away. And my sister at, at this time, she's going to Berkeley because she had straight A's, and she was doing really well. And my mom, I wanted her blessing, and she said, Michael, let's pray one more day. And if you still want to go, you can go, and you'll have my blessing. So I told the recruiter, I'll come back, I'll come tomorrow, and I'll sign, and I'll join the Marines. I actually wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly for the Marines. And so uh, we prayed that night, and then the next day when the mail came, a letter from Cal Poly Pomona uh, arrived saying, we're accepting you. So I was surprised. They had my uh, application. I guess it was, uh, there, it was pending some, in, uh, you know, they were waiting for me to fulfill certain criteria and then somehow, some way they accepted me. So off to Cal Poly I go and I don't know what to major in. So I was talking to Archie and he's an accountant, he's like, hey, accounting's the way to go. <laughs> accounting's for everyone, right? I, I'm an accountant, and so I, I started in accounting. And I, I did about a quarter of it before I wanted to, like, kill myself. <laughs> What's that? Uh, well, they have their cross, so. <laughs> so, um, I, I decided I, I wasn't going to do accounting, and, um, and so I majored in something called engineering technology, because I was always good with my hands. I could fix things, and I, I just liked working with my hands. And so um, I was talking to the counselor, or the, you know, one of the department leads of engineering technology, and I... I asked him, what's the difference between engineering technology and engineering? And his response was so, like, it, it didn't sit well with me. He says, 
well, we get the stuff done, and they're just a bunch of paper pushers. And he just had this really, like, negative response that I, I, I didn't want to spend four years focusing on just getting it done. And I, I felt like if I'm going to get a degree, it's, it should be in engineering. So I switched over to engineering where all the students in that class already had like honors, like uh, AP calculus in high school. And I was, I was algebra. So I had a long way to go before I could even catch up with these brainiacs. And I remembered I was in one of these, uh, uh, one of these engineering classes and I was... I was in the front always asking questions. And I remember the professor got so annoyed with me that he threw his eraser down in front of everyone and said, when are you going to realize you're not fit to be an engineer? So just I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of you know, my childhood. Again, like maybe I'm just really um, just I'm not a smart person. But if it's one thing I, I'm not, is it's a quitter. I just don't quit. And if you tell me I'm not or I can't, it ignites a certain anger in me that I, I want to go out just to prove you wrong. So this guy's name was Professor Izadi, and I felt, I, I felt like this big, and I felt 200 eyes staring at me. And I, I actually got water, water, watery eyes, and I got up and I, and I walked out of the class. And sure enough, I failed the class. But I wanted to take it again. I wasn't going to quit. And the class was offered again by Azadi and this other guy named Zagarian. And everybody knew Zagarian. Like, you could fall asleep in class and get an A. Like, this guy was super easy. But I decided I was going to take it with Azadi again. And the first day of class, uh, you know, you get the syllabus and, and then you, you know, you leave. And as I'm packing up my bag, he comes up to me and he says, Mr. Gerges, we're going to go through this again? And I finished packing my bag up and I, I put it on my back. And I went up to him in his face and I said, not only am I going to pass your class, I'm going to ace your class. And so he was like, we'll see about that. And sure enough, I actually got an A in the class because I was, I was just behind. I was always a, a slow learner, but once I understood something, then that was it. And so anyway, I ended up graduating and, and I became an engineer and I married Janie. And Janie, who would think somebody like Janie would, would be attracted to a guy like me and and so I look back at my life and I just feel like I'm very small and I know my limitations. And God has, has, has blessed me. Like the, the little I put into to, to life, God has given me so much. So I'm married, I'm an engineer, and... I started doing really well at work and I felt like all that hard work is finally like paid off. And uh, really thanking God and then I had my accident. And I, I, it, it, it really 
rocked me to my core because I felt betrayed by God. Like, I've never left your side. I've always been faithful to you. And how could you do this to me? But I can tell you from just the years of being in this chair, eight years of being in this chair, he's really taught me a lot. And that is, I'm not really an actor in life. I'm a spectator. And I'm watching the world for what it really is. And it's... It's just a lot of um, distractions. And the world that I thought I wanted to, to conquer, you know, being an engineer, being professional, being a winner, and seeing that for what it really is, and I no longer want those things. What I really want in, in life is God. That's, that's all I, that's the only truth I know now. And it's not that I created truth, it's just that I think I'm living in truth. It's the realization of just how small we really are and how great and and large God is and the less I am of me the more he is in me and I prefer that and I and I ask I ask I ask all of you if we know the stories in the Bible and we know the stories of the saints then why is it that we don't pursue nothingness more why do we aspire to be great and, we, and not really follow in the footsteps even of, of Christ himself who did, that didn't you know, travel um, uh, in fancy vehicles and didn't live in mansions and didn't, um, doesn't have these like images of him being this mighty figure. If that's God, then who are we to try to pursue this perfect image of who we, who we want people to think we are? And it's really a question for all of us, like to really reflect on how we want to be perceived. And when people see us, do we want them to see us or do we want them to see God? And I think I was, I went a little longer than I should have, but um, I think you get the point. Does anybody have any points to bring up? Comments? Okay. I don't think so, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> Henry's always uh, ready to, yeah. Uh, okay, let's stand up and pray.